This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. What will the coming offensive in the east of Ukraine look like? And thousands of Russian exiles have relocated to Armenia. This is the State of Ukraine from NPR News. Ukraine and its allies have been expecting a new Russian offensive any day now in the eastern part of Ukraine. To understand what this spring fighting might look like, Steve Inskeep spoke to NPR Pentagon correspondent Tom Bowman. It seems the Russians have started their counteroffensive, and what they want to do is gain even more ground in the eastern part of the country, in the Donbass. A lot more troops are heading in, and the sense is more towns in the east will fall to the Russian forces, who, again, are trying to make gains. Russia is taking huge amounts of casualties, and they've lost a lot of tanks and armor. But again, tens of thousands of Russian troops flowing in. And Steve, there's a saying that quantity has a quality all its own, and that comes from a former Soviet leader named Joseph Stalin. Tom, Ukrainian officials began 2023 talking about moving the other way, as did their American supporters, talking about a Ukrainian offensive or counteroffensive to take even more territory back from the Russians. What happened to that? Well, we're likely to see it, and as uh, General Milley said, probably sometime in the spring, uh, maybe April or even into May when the ground dries out. And also when they get their tanks and armor and better trained troops, Ukrainian troops are training in England in small units, and larger units are doing training at U.S. training facilities in Germany. They want to make sure they have, again, all the armor and the trained troops before they mount this counteroffensive. I want to call attention to something General Milley said. He said this is a critical moment. But people are always saying that various moments in this war are critical moments. What about this particular set of offensives and counteroffensives would be critical? Well, I think it's critical for the Ukrainians. They have to show NATO and the U.S. that they can actually achieve something. Can they push the Russians back in the eastern part of the country? Or can they, as some say, will likely head south and split that Russian land bridge that goes from Russia to Crimea? The sense is they may push into Melitopol on the Sea of Azov. That would prevent the Russians from supplying their forces in Crimea, because the only other way in by land is that bridge that you remember the Ukrainians partially destroyed a while back. But what can the Ukrainians achieve? Now, they say they want to push all the Russians out of the entire country. General Milley and others have said, you're not going to be able to do that. And also, the Russians wanted to take the entire country. General Milley said they can't do that either. So what can they do? U.S. officials have said again and again they will support Ukraine for as long as it takes. But let me interrogate that a little bit. Is there something of a time pressure here for the Ukrainians that they know that their support from the international community maybe can't go forever? I think that's probably right. If they can't achieve much, you may start to see some European countries start to say, we can't keep this thing going forever. The United States may say, we're with you right to the end. But you might see some of those European countries, because of the cost of this, saying, you know what, it's really time to sit down on a negotiating table. NPR's Tom Bowman, thanks so much. You're welcome, Steve. Hundreds of thousands of Russians have left their country in opposition to the war in Ukraine. And with the conflict showing no end in sight, many are settling down in other countries for the long haul. 
NPR's Charles Manns recently traveled to the southern Caucasus nation of Armenia to meet with some exiled Russians. In the early days of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Ivan Moshkin remembers arriving to his work at a Moscow bank and the shock that came next. All my male colleagues had already gone. The older people in the office said, Are you an idiot? What are you still doing here? You're of military draft age. Get out now, before mobilization begins. With Moshkin short on money, the office pooled their cash to buy him a ticket out. That same evening, he was on his way to the airport and a new life in Armenia. With little money and no work, I fell into a deep, deep depression. For Russians who oppose the war, it's been a tough road. Repressive laws have made life dangerous at home, and growing numbers of countries are closing their doors to Russian immigration. Yet Armenia, once a Soviet republic, offers something of a refuge. Russians can travel here without a passport. Even Russian, the language, is widely spoken by locals. Moshkin, for one, says here he's breathing easier. He eventually found a job waiting tables in the capital Yerevan, and with the war grinding on, he's now applying for his residency permit. And he's not the only one. At the Russian Swabodnishkola, or free school, in downtown Yerevan, a day of classes is winding down. Launched as a pop-up education program to accommodate a few dozen families who fled here last spring, the free school is another example of the increasingly entrenched Russian presence in Armenia. Free school's founder, Anna Chegovayeva, says the whole thing started on a dare. Her friends knew she was a good organizer. What she didn't expect was to be running a full-fledged school, now with more than 180 students. The school even offers Armenian language night classes for Russian parents. Of course, I'd love for everything to suddenly change in Russia, and together we'd all happily go home. Then there wouldn't be a need for the school. But we decided our school will exist as long as we are in this position. In fact, it seems everywhere you look in Armenia, Russians are not only making do, but settling down, opening businesses and getting involved in the community. Government figures show Armenia's GDP jumped 14% after the Russian influx. I try to become useful to the Armenian society, to become integrated. Ivan Devodakovsky left Moscow, fearing he could be arrested for his past participation in Russia's pro-democracy movement. He says he's now engaged in causes important to Armenia's future. I don't know if I can become an Armenian in a narrow sense, but I am a part of the Russian immigrant circle, and we are doing our best to become a good long-term guest, a good uh, roommate. And Russians are integrating in other ways. Donna Vergalush is one of hundreds of Russian IT professionals who relocated to Yerevan, in her case from southern Russia's Rostov-on-Don. Vergalush says she arrived with her daughter, intent on finding people who share her progressive politics and passion for the environment. She's since launched a series of volunteer trash cleanups, much to her surprise, with buy-in and support from the Armenian authorities. In Russia, my activities were never welcomed or approved of by the government. Not once did anyone reach out to say, that's great what you are doing, or even just say, thank you. Yet gaining acceptance in Armenia comes with accepting that a return to Russia is unlikely. 
Last spring, Russian President Vladimir Putin demonized Russians who fled the country in the past year as scum and traitors. Even now, Russia's parliament, the Duma, is debating measures that could strip property, perhaps even citizenship, from those expat Russians seen as openly disloyal. After a year of war, it will take fundamental changes inside Russia, even the end of the Putin era, to lure these political emigres back, says Darina Mitskaya, a native of St. Petersburg. I'll go home when either they get rid of all these repressive laws or the authorities are so weak they can't enforce them. I see myself going back when I'm sure I can cross the border and I'm certain no one will arrest me. Mitskaya runs the local chapter of Kovcheg, or The Ark, a support group that provides assistance to Russians settling into life abroad and often leaving trouble behind. On the night I visited, The Ark was hosting a letter-writing campaign to Russian political prisoners currently in jail over their opposition to the war. Ivan Lubimov knew the routine better than most. Lubimov says letters from people he'd never met comforted him when he was in jail for participating in opposition rallies in his native city of Ekaterinburg. In fact, Lubimov says he left for Armenia only after authorities launched a criminal probe into his own anti-war activities, over which he has no regrets. The Russian government's policies won't change. The police won't behave any differently. The courts won't get any better. But it's still important and necessary to protest this war, to show that not all Russians support this aggressive annexation of Ukraine's territory. As to what's next, Lubimov says he'll stay in Armenia, at least for now. And with that, he started scribbling out a letter, a message intended for sender and recipient alike. It read, Sooner or later, we might both find ourselves in a new free country, breathing the free air. Until then, hold on. Charles Maines, NPR News, Yerevan, Armenia. Thanks for listening to the State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back to this feed for more on the war and its impacts around the world. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. 